Good morning. It's good to be with y'all. That was the uh, calmest baptism I've ever experienced. <laughs> uh, we have two children. When they got baptiz- baptized, they were uh, not that calm. Emmeline had the water put on her, and she was just like, okay, this feels normal to me. Uh, every, I feel like most baptisms I've ever seen were just like a child flailing and screaming, so I'm, I'm impressed. Uh, my name is Matt Howell. I am the RUF campus minister at the University of Tennessee. I was with y'all maybe, I was trying to think, a couple of years ago, a year or so ago, I can't remember. Um, but if you're unfamiliar, RUF is the campus ministry of the same denomination that Trinity is a part of, the Presbyterian Church in America. So if you were ever wondering, I wonder if Trinity has a college ministry to the University of Tennessee students. I'm here to let you know you do, and I'm your guy. And so thanks for uh, partnering with me and, and praying for me in whatever way that you do, and uh, I'm, just, I'm just thrilled to be able to be here with you this morning. Uh, we're going to look at John chapter 10. So if you have a pew Bible or a, your own Bible, we're going to look at John chapter 10. We're going to look at 21 verses. You might need that. Um, and this is, a, this is a wide swath of text to cover, so I'm not going to look at every single verse, but we're going to do more of an overview. So uh, for the sake of time, I'm just going to go ahead and read it, and we'll consider it together. This is John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is God's word. Why don't I pray for us, and then we'll consider it together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for this time to be together. I pray that you would be kind to send your spirit to open up our eyes and unclog our ears and soften our hearts, that we would see 
behold and enjoy the beauty of who you are. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one of my favorite TV shows, which may not be appropriate for all ages, just as a warning, is the show Impractical Jokers. I don't know if you've seen this. Have you seen this? This is a show of four best friends that have grown up together, and it's a, it's a hidden camera prank game show. It's the best way that I know how to describe it. Hidden camera prank game show. So the way that it works is they'll go out into a crowded area, and uh, one of the four will go out into like Central Park, and he'll have an earpiece in his ear, and there'll be hidden cameras videoing what he's doing. And then the other three will be kind of off stage, looking at the screens of what the video camera people are doing and showing. And they'll have microphones, and they'll be able to speak into his ear and, and, and tell him to do certain things. And if he agrees to do them, he like advances to the next round of the game show, and if he refuses to do it, he fails. So for example, one guy will go out into Central Park, and the other guys will be hiding, and they'll say, okay, do you see that guy sitting over there on the bench? I want you to go over to that stranger and give him an Eskimo kiss. Just rub your nose against this man's nose, and he's got to do it. Or if he doesn't do it, he fails, and then he gets punished at the end of the episode. Uh, one, of the, one of my favorite lines, this is the most random thing ever, they say, go up to that guy in Central Park, and I want you to apologize to him and see if he'll forgive you. But here's what I want you to say. I want you to go up to him and say, I am so sorry, but I just ate three pounds of pork while I was staring at you earlier. It's just like so random, but it makes me laugh so hard. There's no show that makes me laugh as hard as this show. I have to go, sometimes I'll have to pause the show and go and get like my inhaler for my asthma because I'm, <laughs> I'm like hurting. But what's fascinating is here's this voice that comes in and they have to decide, am I going to listen to that voice and do this thing that might be incredibly uncomfortable or am I going to privilege my own instincts and my own desires and say, no, 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 there's no way I'm going to do that. I'm, going to, I'm willing to fail because that's too much. It's too ridiculous. I bring that up because uh, just like that show, we are bombarded with voices. We're bombarded with messages, the voices of your parents, the voices of your friends, the voice of the culture, the voice of your professors, the voice of your teachers, the voice of the news, the voice of your own inner desires. And the question is, which voice are you going to privilege and prioritize to make sense of your life? My invitation for you this morning is that you would privilege and prioritize the voice of Jesus over and above every other voice and message that you're hearing. And here's why, because Jesus' voice is authoritative and it's life-giving and it's trustworthy. And those are the kind of three ideas that I wanna explore with you briefly this morning. The voice of Jesus, why should you listen to it? Why should you prioritize it over and above every other voice and message that's coming at you? It's because number one, it's authoritative. Number two, it's life-giving. And number three, it's trustworthy. So what do I mean? What do I mean by the first thing, that his voice is authoritative? Well, look at, um, look at John chapter 10. This is an interesting passage because Jesus plays with this imagery of a flock of sheep. I mean, you heard it when I read it. The flock of sheep represents the believing people of God. It represents the church. And Jesus says in verse seven, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He said, I'm the gateway. I'm the entranceway into becoming a part of the flock. He says it again in verse 9. I am the door. <laughs> he says, I'm the only access. If you want to be a part of the believing people of God, you have to go through me. But then it, it, it kind of 
he gets a little trippy because he plays with the imagery and he says, oh, by the way, I'm also the shepherd. I'm not just the door, I'm the shepherd. And you see this in verse 11. I'm the good shepherd, and he says it again in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. And that's the image that I really want to camp on for our time this morning. This idea that Jesus is your shepherd and therefore by definition we are the sheep. That is the picture of our fundamental relationship with who God is. He's the shepherd, we're the sheep. He's in control, we are not. He's the master in charge and we aren't. And here's my point, unless you understand that fundamental dynamic, that he is God and we aren't, then the Bible will never make sense to you. Christianity won't make sense to you. This is foundational to understanding even how to relate to God. He has authority and we don't. Let me show you where I get this from. Look at verse 3. He's talking about the shepherd. He says, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. You see that voice of authority? He speaks, he calls, the sheep respond. Look at verse 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. Okay, why do they follow him? Why do the sheep follow him? He says, for they know his voice. This is the metaphor. His voice has authority. And unless you understand that he has the right to tell you what to do with every aspect of your life, then the Bible won't make sense to you, Christianity won't make sense to you, God won't make sense to you. Now, I'm not um, a complete dummy. I know that that idea, we are allergic to that idea. One of our prized uh, values in our country is freedom. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do. Nobody has the right to tell me what I should do with my life. It's my life. You do you, you, whatever's true for you, whatever's fine for you is fine for you. It's not the same for me. This is just kind of built into the way that we do life. In fact, um, uh, Bob Dylan, when he became a Christian, as you may know, he wrote this song called Serve Somebody. You gotta serve somebody. It may be the Lord, it may be the devil, but you gotta serve somebody. And John Lennon, who, you know, former Beatle, uh, hated that song. And he wrote a, a counter song to Bob Dylan's song called You Gotta Serve Yourself. And one of the lyrics goes, um, uh, you gotta serve yourself, ain't nobody gonna do it for you. And it's Lennon's song, not Bob Dylan's song, that has really kind of gotten into the bloodstream of our culture and of our psyche. I gotta serve me, I gotta look out for number one. In fact, did you know what the number one song that is played at funerals in uh, Britain is? The number one most popular song that's played at funerals in the United Kingdom is Frank Sinatra's My Way. If you, I don't know if you ever heard the song. It's an interesting song. Let me read you a couple of the lyrics. Uh, Frank Sinatra's My Way, he says, And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll, I'll, state, it, uh, I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I traveled each and every highway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. And then the bridge goes, For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels, which is a little pot shot at religious people, he says, the record shows I took the blows and I did it my way. John Lennon, serve yourself. Frank Sinatra, my way. Outback Steakhouse, no rules, just right. 
this is our mantra. This is just kind of built into the way of, of our fallen nature. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do. We don't want there to be a shepherd. We don't want there to be a God. And there's historical proof of this because when God came down to us, what did human beings do to him? We killed him. We don't want you. We want the freedom to do whatever we want to do. But here's the thing. You will never make sense of the Bible. You'll never connect with Jesus. You'll never connect with God unless you understand this fundamental dynamic. He's the shepherd. We're the sheep. And therefore, he has the authority to tell you what to do with your body, with your thoughts, with your emotions, with the way that you relate to your enemies, with the way that you relate to your children, the way that you relate to your sexuality. Everything. His voice is authoritative. Now, why in the world would you continue to listen to this, especially if you're allergic to this idea? Well, because secondly, I want to show you from this passage that, that even though he has authority, which he does, he, he is not on a power trip. He's not a tyrannical, mean boss that just wants to put you in your place and tell you and boss you around. His voice is life-giving. It's not just authoritative, it is, but it's also life-giving. Let me show you where I get this from. Look at verse 8. He says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. And he's saying there's these other voices that are trying to get the sheep to listen to them, but they're thieves and, and, and they're robbers. They're trying to steal their freedom and their life. But look at verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. There are, these, there are these other voices that are coming at you, and they sound so good, and they sound so right. Voices like, serve yourself. Nobody has the right to tell you how to live your life. You live your life on your terms. You should look out for number one. You should do whatever it takes to make sure that you are happy. You do you. These voices come in, and they resonate with us, and we say, yes, that sounds right. That sounds good. But Jesus says these are the voice of robbers. These are the voice of thieves that are actually trying to steal your joy, rob you of life itself. But what's, what's fascinating is the voice of Jesus then comes in, and it sounds so threatening. He says you, you should be giving away your life and your resources for the sake of the poor. And we're like, I don't want to do that. He says you should pray for and seek to bless your enemies. And we're like, that doesn't sound good. He says, do not get drunk, which leads to debauchery. You should only have sex within the parameters of biblical marriage. Pray continually. Love your neighbor. And we're like, I don't want to do any of that. And yet, that is the voice coming in that is actually the blueprint for your flourishing the blueprint for life itself. I say this to our students a lot, but I say if you've ever read the manual in your, uh, about your car in your little glove compartment, which no one ever has, but if you're well familiar with the manual in your glove compartment and you're reading through it and you get to the section that says uh, you should only put gasoline in the gas tank, this is, a, this is a message that the designer of the car is telling you if you want this car to function the right way, only put gasoline in the gas tank. Now, what if you read that and you thought, only gasoline? That is so restrictive. That is, a, that is oppressive. 
and you said, you know, it's my car. I paid for it. I can do whatever I want with it. I don't like gasoline. It's expensive. It smells weird. I want to put in pancake syrup. It's cheaper. Smells better. Can lick your fingers when, it's, when you're done. You're free to do that, but the point is, if you put pancake syrup in your car, you're going to destroy your car. It's not the voice of the designer saying, we want to ruin your fun. It's actually the voice of the designer saying, we want you to use this vehicle so that it flourishes, it functions, it thrives. But if you don't privilege the voice of the designer over and against your own desires, then you'll destroy the car. It's the same way with you. If you don't privilege the voice of your designer over and against even your own desires, then you introduce damage and dysfunction into you. This is why Jesus says, my voice is life-giving. I'm not trying to ruin your fun. I'm not trying to crush you. I'm not trying to make your life miserable. I'm trying to go for the joy abundantly. And this is the way to do it, is to trust me. But that means a couple of things. On the one hand, that means if you're going to follow what he says, then you have to know what he says. How can you know what the voice of Jesus is? I don't think that the voice of Jesus comes to you audibly in your own ears in terms of like when you're thinking through, okay, whenever this guy stops talking, where should we go to lunch today? Jesus, where, what should we go? Chipotle? Moe's? I don't think you're going to get an answer. Although if he gave an answer, he would definitely say Chipotle. Um, <laughs> But the voice of Jesus is found in his word, in the scriptures. This is why we call it the word of God. It's his word given to you. And therefore, as believers, as someone that's exploring what Christianity is, if you want to connect with God, then the way that you do that is you saturate yourself in the word of God, in his words. You commit yourself to a church that opens the Bible regularly. You commit to a small group where we, you're committed to wrestling with and processing what, the, what, what his word is actually saying to me. Where is it confronting me and pressing an area of my life I don't want to yield to, but I feel like I need to. Committing yourself personally to drinking, eating deeply of what his word is. His word is intended to be life-giving to you. And so here's the last thing I want to look at with you is, is why why should you do this? Why should you privilege and prioritize the voice of Jesus found in a book written over 2,000 years ago over and against your own desires? Because if you're anything like me, your own desires feel so real. They feel so important. They feel like they're the most ultimate thing. Why in the world would you demote those and privilege this? Well, here's the last thing I want to say. is because his word, the voice of Jesus, is trustworthy. It's authoritative, it's life-giving, but it's trustworthy. The reason, uh, Jesus says, the reason you can trust me is because I have demonstrated beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am committed to your good. I have proven historically that I am committed to seeing you flourish in this life. And how did Jesus prove that? How did he showcase that? It's because he gave his very life for you. And in case you missed it, Jesus proceeds to tell you five times in this passage, I've given up my life for you. Let me walk through this. Here's number one. Look at verse 11. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Look at verse 15. I lay down my life for the sheep. Look at verse 17. Here's number three. The father loves me because I lay down my life. 
Here's number four, verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And then later in verse 18, number five, I have authority to lay it down. Do you, do you think he wants you to know this? He just says it over and over and over and over. I lay down my life for you. I'm laying down my life for you. I'm laying down my life for you. Do you think I care about you? Oh, guess what? I'm, I lay down my life for you. Do you think I'm against you? Look at me. I'm laying down my life for you. I lay down my life for you. Okay. He has shown you beyond a shadow of a doubt. He is committed to you thriving. And he's done it because he's laid down his life for you. I heard the story in the news a number of years ago. I think it took place in Massachusetts. Uh, there was a guy working at like a corner store, like a 7-Eleven, and uh, gas station kind of whatever thing. And he's behind the counter. I think he was reading or something. He's, he's um, nobody in the store. And this 20-year-old comes in the store and he pulls out a knife and sticks it in the clerk's face. The clerk is this 55-year-old man named Juan Rodriguez. And the, the, the guy with the knife demands all the money from the register. And Juan Rodriguez you know, is able to somehow distract him long enough to pull out like a baseball bat from behind him. And so he chases him out of the store with this baseball bat. And so picture the scene. You've got this 20-year-old guy running down the avenue. And you've got this 55-year-old man with a baseball bat chasing after him. And he's shouting, robber, thief, just stop him, stop him, stop him. And there are these group of guys kind of on the corner that see this happening. And so they run over and they just tackle the uh, the 20-year-old on the ground and pin him to the ground long enough for Juan Rodriguez to catch up. I'm guessing he's catching his breath. And he pulls out his phone and he calls the police. While he's on the phone with the police, it's like this, this mob of eight to ten people from the street gather around this guy on the ground and they just start just pounding him, kicking him, punching him. They're just brutally uh, beating him up. It says, it says in the news story that they, had, they were starting to rip his clothes off. He was down to his underwear. And so they're just, they're just pulverizing this poor guy on the ground. And when, when Juan Rodriguez sees this happening, he makes his way into the crowd, elbows his way in, and cover, jumps over and covers the man on the ground so that now their punches and their kicks are landing on the back of his head and hitting his ribs until eventually the crowd stops. And the guy on the ground's in critical condition Paramedics get there, take him to the hospital, but his life is spared. And it's just this amazing picture to me, I can never forget it, of this is, this is what Jesus does for us. We're the ones that stick the knife in his face, and we say, my way. I'm going to serve myself. I don't want to do things your way. I'm going to do it my way. And as a result, all of the human race has found ourselves beaten in a bloody pulp on the side of the road. And we have no one that can help us except for the very person that we stuck the knife in their face. And so Jesus comes, and he covers us, and he shields us. And when we find ourselves in him, the wrath and the judgment that you and I deserve for our autonomy and our rebellion, it falls on Jesus' back instead of us. And he gets crushed, and he gets pulverized so that we might live. He says, I love you. I'm laying down my life for you. Don't you know that I'm committed to your good? But, but here's the thing, if I could play devil's advocate for three minutes and then I'm done. Just because, some, just because you're convinced that someone is committed to your well-being doesn't necessarily mean you should trust them, right? I mean, you might be convinced that your parents are absolutely committed to your well-being, but they may be way out of touch with reality and you should never listen to anything they <laughs> listen to their advice. I'm talking about older, weirder parents, right? None of y'all. And... Um, 
But Jesus doesn't just say, you should trust me because I laid down my life for you. He also says, you should trust me because I pick it up again. Look, two different times he says this. Verse 17, for this reason, the Father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. Verse 18, I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. The claim of the Bible is that Jesus physically, bodily, actually rose out of the grave. If he didn't, the Bible says we, we should be pitied among all people. We are wasting our time. We should be at brunch right now if Jesus did not go out of, come out of the grave. But if he actually came out of the grave, that changes everything. Because he's not just some religious wacko that maybe got a couple of things right. It means he is the creator of the universe. He is God in the flesh, and therefore he has the very words of life. And therefore he is supremely trustworthy. Look at how the story ends, and I'll, and I'll end with this. The story ends with this debate. Uh, after Jesus finishes talking, look at verse 20. It says, many of them said, he has a demon and he is insane. Why listen to him? And that's the question. Why would we listen to the voice of Jesus? Why privilege what Jesus says? He sounds crazy. And yet, verse 21, others say, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? They're saying, wait, I, I'm connecting the dots. I have seen him open the eyes of blind people. He seems like he is committed to human beings flourishing. It seems like he might have the words of life. You got these people over here saying, he sounds crazy. He sounds demon possessed. And you got these people over here saying, wait, I think he has the words of life. And look at how the passage ends. Look what happens after that. It just ends. There's, the debate doesn't get solved. It just moves on to the next story. And in the same way, I want to end it in, by, by leaving it open-ended because it puts the ball in your court to really get you to say, what am I going to do with the words of Jesus? Am I going to write him off as, as a madman, a, the ramblings of a madman? He's the shepherd. He's the, he's the only access into the divine. That sounds bananas. Or does he have the words of life? These are your only options. If you're going to have any intellectual integrity, you either have to crucify him or crown him. So my invitation for you is, what are you going to do with the words of Jesus? Let me pray. Father, I do pray that you would give us a, a, a sense that we might trust and know and deeply prize your words for us, that we would begin to see everything that you say to us as your gift to us, even the things that are challenging to us, that are hard for us to understand, that offend us, that confront us. Father, I pray that those things would be the means by which you draw us to yourself in deeper dependency, deeper reliance, that we might lean into this reality that we are your sheep and you are the good shepherd who lays down your life and takes it up again for rebels like us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.